TED Audio Collective. I think sometimes when you're in those cultures and it's so suffocating, sometimes you just want to say, shut up, faggot. You know what I mean? <laughs> Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block? Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Hey, and welcome to Conversations with People Who Hate Me, the show where I take negative online conversations and move them offline. I'm your host, Dylan Marin, and today we're talking about the idea of civility. If you've logged on to social media recently, you may have seen some members of the left arguing with each other about how we should treat and speak to the quote-unquote other side, whether it's how to treat government officials at restaurants, what words we use to describe the daughter of a president, or how we speak to and about the president himself. The left is divided. Some feel that we should be polite and civil, while others believe that we should say whatever expletives we want to say to the people in power. Either way, witnessing these arguments play out in concise clapbacks on social media can be disheartening, in my experience. So I wanted to host one of those conversations here. My two guests today are Ryan and Mike, and they didn't know each other before this call. So what brought them together? Well, my Facebook algorithm. As luck would have it, Ryan and Mike are both Facebook friends of mine, and they both shared the same article at the same time. It was an op-ed from the New York Times arguing that liberals shouldn't use expletives when referring to the president and other members of his staff, and that doing so would get him re-elected. Ryan and Mike both had very different takes. Mike shared the article saying, important advice, while Ryan shared the same article with the comment, please tell me how to communicate with Trump voters, faggot. Now first, I'll speak with Ryan, then I'll speak with Mike, and then I'll connect them to each other. So, let's get started. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Dylan. How are you? I'm doing great this morning. <laughs> What's up? Oh, you know, I'm just hanging out, um, looking mm. at our waveforms. Mm -hmm. um, so, Ryan, how is your day going so far? Uh, my day is going great. It yeah. is sweltering <laughs> it, it heat is swe outside. <laughs> it is. I'm a pale, pale boy. <laughs> are you sunscreened? Uh, no. <laughs> you're, you're not. You're not. No, I just try to stay out of the sun. You <laughs> That's know, what you do, it's yeah. more of like a, you know, some like a zero sum game yeah, for yeah, me. Yeah. Yeah. You're trying to escape it. Mm -hmm. Um so Ryan, in only as many details as you're comfortable sharing, tell me about you. Uh my name's Ryan. Mm -hmm. Um I moved here to New York about four years ago. I work at a theater, mm -hmm. um, which I love. Mm -hmm. And um yeah, I'm, uh, I moved here from Virginia. Nice. And I moved here to do comedy because mm -hmm. I love comedy. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to sort of be surrounded by, like, interesting, funny, intelligent, mm -hmm. uh, queer people. Yes, they're yeah. all here in New York City. Mm -hmm, that I have found. Just tell me about where you moved from. I um, 
grew up in a small town, like a very small town, very rural. It's sort of like Trump country. Yeah. The, it has a big Confederate culture there. Mm-hmm. Like my school was built during segregation Got and it. the mascot is the Confederate soldier. Well, People sort of cling to that and I think it spreads into other ideologies in their lives where it's this like denial of like history, this denial of like truth. Mm-hmm. For me, it's nothing new. I'm used to it. Yeah. So that's where I'm from. <laughs> this is a good segue because what we're here to discuss is <laughs> that two friends of mine on Facebook shared the same article. You were one of them. Now, it's important that we kind of first lay out the gist of this article. This article was basically saying Democrats will lose the election if we continue to celebrate the famous people who shout expletives at members of the Trump family. So Mike shared the article, and he said important advice. And then you also shared the article, and you said, please tell me how to communicate with Trump voters, faggot, with many T's. Many T's, <laughs> in all caps, just the end, not the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so please tell me how to communicate with Trump voters, faggot. Mm-hmm. Tell me why. Um, so I read it Mm -hmm. and I disagreed with it. Mm -hmm. And I think he also is being condescending in his article. He's telling us who are reading his stuff and on social media, this is the solution. Mm -hmm. I know how to win the election. Mm -hmm. And I read it and I thought, no, you don't. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's a belief that a lot of people hold Mm -hmm. this idea that like they go low, we go high. That's just not my philosophy in life. What this article is basically talking about is a very hot-button word right now, which is civility. Mm, Yes, civility. (laughs) Um, What are your thoughts on that word or that, I guess, directive that we must be civil to the people we disagree with? It's sort of like a tool of white supremacy at the end of the day. Because of the institutions in which you're asked to be civil, it's like mannerisms that are biased towards people who already have the ability to achieve without like accommodating people. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like at the university of Virginia, there's like this, um, there's this motto. It's like an honor code that Mm. they instituted for Mm -hmm. like over a hundred years. And it's, I will not lie, cheat or steal. (laughs) And for me, that's an anti-poor statement Mm -hmm. because of course you don't have to lie, cheat and steal if you've already done it in the last 300 years and you have property and wealth and a legacy at prestigious universities. Of course you can be civil because you have access. Right. And when you have access, you can just walk in places and you're given everything. Yeah. This is a this is a more introspective question. If you, Ryan, are being told don't use expletives to speak to or about people who are in this administration that you really disagree with, why does that bother you personally so much? Hmm. Maybe it's because I use expletives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I studied in school politics yeah. and I studied like how to accommodate a plurality in a yeah. democracy. Yeah. And there's this idea that in a democracy there's always going to be people who lose, yeah. right? Yeah. But I think it's this idea that when you're losing there always has to be room for people to express 
the resentment at the loss. Huh. And that's what keeps democracy civility yeah. going. Yeah. Like it's more civil to allow people to react, yeah. to express their anger yeah. rather than hold it in in some sort of political strategy or moral yeah. code. Yeah. Because like saying fuck Trump is not going to make people turn against you. It's not going to make people hate you and vote against you. Because when I was growing up, during like the Obama era and I campaigned for Obama in rural Virginia and I heard like the N-word said and I was like chased away from doors. Like I know Because of your sexuality. No, chased oh. away from doors because I was like, hi, vote for Barack Obama. Oh, just the yeah. simple fact. Yeah, that me you were, and straight yeah. people alike. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wow. But you know We are all equal after yeah, we're all. all we're well, all chased well, away. We're all chased by the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, like that was my thing is like like I was saying earlier, I come from a culture of like Confederate culture. Mm-hmm. It's this idea of like, oh, slaves were happy when we freed them. They didn't want to be free. Mm-hmm. Um, they were so happy, they cried when we freed them. Mm-hmm. They were so yeah. sad about being free. Like yeah. there's people who believe that and they yeah. go through the day and they go yeah. through their lives and they hold positions of power and they believe that to be true. Yeah. You know, they've bought into into these these agendas, these rhetorics, these stories that yeah. are fake. Yeah. So we don't have to say fuck Trump for those people to hate us. Like yeah. you don't have to provoke people who hate you yeah. for them to hate you. Yeah. You just have to exist. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> this is a good segue because you are about to speak to someone who had a very different take on this article. Um, how do you feel about that? I can't wait. Okay, great. (laughs) Well, then um, I'm going to go chat with Mike, and then we'll all chat together. Okay. Hello. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you, Dylan? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. How's your day going so far? (laughs) Good. Put my baby to sleep. Yeah, you put your baby to sleep. What was that process like? Oh, God. He, you know, I, I know he's tired. I know it's his nap time. Um, I know he really is thirsting for that bottle of milk. <laughs> yeah. That's something inside of him is telling him, stay awake, yeah. stay awake, uh, annoy your dad for just a few more minutes. Yeah. Um, but, but finally, he fell asleep. And it was perfect because it was he fell asleep like just a few minutes before I was supposed to call you for this interview. So I'm, oh, I'm glad oh he God. fell asleep. Well, great. Um, maybe he's a big listener of conversations with people who hate me. And he's I like, you know so. what? Dad right. has to do this. I believe in this. <laughs> okay, Mike, let's start here. In only as many details as you're comfortable sharing, tell me about you. So my profession is a teacher. I'm a middle school teacher. Uh, and, um, my life outside of that right now is as a parent, I have mm-hmm. two kids, mm-hmm. um, and I have a husband. Oh my God. Congratulations. <laughs> so, so, the full so, fam. Thank you. So yeah. we're, so we're raising two kids and, um, as a middle school teacher, uh, I teach English and history and identity studies and a little bit of theater. Okay, so Mike, what we are here to talk about is kind of a gift of the social media algorithm. And I was scrolling on my newsfeed one day, and one article was shared by two different people who I was connected to, you and a guy named Ryan. And both of you shared the same article with a very different take on it. You shared the article, and you said, important advice. I want to hear from you in your own words. What spoke to you about the article? Yeah, so the article um, was published right after two high-profile 
celebrity disses uh-huh. of people uh-huh. in the Trump family. <laughs> so one of the celebrities was Samantha B, who had uh-huh. done a whole segment, and I don't even remember what it was on now because it was overshadowed by the words she used at the end. I think, I think it, was it was actually on about my, immigration. Migrant yeah, migrant families yeah, and migrant right. kids. Yeah, right, and the kids who are being separated from the families. And she had meant to focus on that. And then the last line of her script, she used a really awful C word to describe Ivanka Trump. Mm-hmm. And that was what got us publicity. And it, later, when she apologized, she said, she said, you know, that I just stepped on my strategy because I had been hoping to highlight these, these people mm-hmm. who were in this situation and the policies of the administration. And instead, um, it ended up being derailed. Mm-hmm. And the other was, was Robert De Niro at the Tonys, where the Tonys had, had a strategy of highlighting the Parkland students and mm-hmm. um, their teacher, their drama teacher, and gun legislation. And instead, all of the publicity came about, look, Robert De Niro called Trump, uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the, the, the article, the essay was, was pointing out that it's important to keep the focus on what's happening rather than um, vilifying people because what that does is it uh, can, it has the potential to close the door on people who might be willing to listen to what you're saying about, about what the issues are, but feel like, oh, you're just going down into the gutter with Donald Trump and I'm not going to listen to anything and just tune out. And to put this in the context of the bigger conversation that's happening in our world in in this country is the idea of civility. How would you define the word civility? You know, the more I think about this, the more I don't think that's a helpful word for for this conversation. Really? Yeah, because I think what it's come to mean in recent weeks and months is the idea that we should roll over and prioritize niceness over justice. Mm. (laughs) But I think think what I'm in favor of is targeted anger, is strategic Mm. anger. What I don't think is productive is heckling someone just because you hate them and you call them names and you tell them to get out of your restaurant or whatever it is. Um, because what that does is it, 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 it makes them and, and most importantly, their constituents or people who feel like they support them hammer their stake into the ground even harder. What makes you believe in this? I guess as, as, as a teacher, as I'm working with kids on social awareness and, and their, their skills as people, I'm thinking about what kind of world do I want them to grow up and build? Mm. Um, and it's, it's definitely not a world where people are calling each other names and attacking each other all the time, nor is it a world where people just cave into each other's um, <laughs> other positions and, and kind, of, kind of just let people trample over them mm-hmm. and, and pretend to agree about everything. I think the world I want my students to build is one where people um, vehemently disagree, but do so in a way where they can hear each other, where they can listen to each other. I assume you're saying this because you've seen this work as a tactic in your classroom, right? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, just talking about race with mm-hmm. white boys, mm-hmm. with, with with wealthy white boys, mm-hmm. um, and race and gender with the wealthy white boys is, is, is can be really stunning. So, I mean, this is watching watching them become aware for the first time, not just of their privileges and, and their invisible advantages, but like how how the system works to privilege them, how they get the benefit of the doubt in ways that people sitting in the room with them don't. Mm. When they realize this and then they write about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't happen for everyone, but just watching their eyes open metaphorically on the page and in, in class discussions is really, really inspiring. Well, this is a good segue because you're about to speak to someone who shared this same article and he had a very different take on it. How are you feeling about going into this conversation? Um, I'm interested to 
to hear what he has to say and mm-hmm. to um, understand where that's coming from. I, I hope I won't feel um, tempted to call him uh, a name, but if I do, <laughs> I hope I can restrain myself. Okay, great. Look at you practicing practicing what you're going for. Um, and so the next step is that you and Ryan are going to speak. Okay, great. Look forward to it. Stay right there. We'll be right back. If you like this podcast and you want to help support it directly, you can check out our merch store. We have brand new shirts that say Empathy is Not Endorsement, a mantra I've made for the show, and stickers that say what I say at the end of every episode, remember there's a human on the other side of the screen. Also, there's a shirt that has Rob Wilson's beautiful logo for our show on it. Check it all out at www.conversationswithpeoplewhohateme.com and click on Merch. All right, let's get back to the conversation. Mike, you're on the phone with Ryan. Ryan, you're on the phone with Mike, and we're all here together. Hi, Ryan. Hey, Mike. This is lovely. This feels like we're doing a Facebook IRL because you are two Facebook friends of mine who came in contact with each other in the algorithm of my newsfeed, where both of you shared the same article at the same time with, as we all know, very different takes. So just in the most bite-sized sense, I would love for you guys to hear from each other where you're coming from. Mike, let's start with you. What resonated positively about the article with you. Yeah. So, 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 so for me, in the context of political strategy, I think that that article resonated with me and saying, look, like the, the, the way to, to make sure we don't lose these elections, mm-hmm. it's being strategic about our expressions of anger so that we, yes, can mobilize the, the people who are already angry, but mm-hmm. also leave the door open to convince people to become angry about things we're angry about without making them feel like we're attacking their people. So when I read the article, I felt it was condescending. So I like come from Trump country. Uh, That's like where I was sort of like bred. (laughs) And um, I think he seems just absolutely removed. And I don't think it's just him. I think it's like a popular culture that I've seen through the election. This idea that, you know, we have to appeal to moderates. We like they're, they're, they're just waiting for us to like give them permission to come over and vote for a candidate that's not Trump. You know, they're people who have these like moral values and and they don't like profanity. And I think it's wrong. It sounded like somebody giving advice to the readers without doing the research. I mean, I don't censor myself when I go home. I don't change the way I feel. I don't change the way I talk. And the people that I grew up with don't hate me for it. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of times pointing out how ludicrous things are that people are saying is better than trying to find some sort of like common ground or civility. Mm. I I really... um Thank you for saying those things, and I think I think you express them beautifully. Um, I don't necessarily believe we should be becoming more moderate, looking for common ground. I don't necessarily believe that. I definitely don't believe that people who voted for Donald Trump don't uh, appreciate profanity. Clearly, if they voted for Donald Trump, they don't have a problem. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, 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 what I do think is that if I, I, I want to make sure that for me that I'm clear about what my values are and how we treat people, and in my political discourse, I want to be true to those. If we as liberals, progressives believe in the dignity of everyone, no matter who they are, and we believe that people should be listened to no matter who they are, 
that in our discourse, we make sure that we are living those values. No, I appreciate that standpoint too. I think you said it really well. I just think it's not the same. It isn't the same. Because for me, Donald Trump says things that are explicit that are false. You know, Mexicans are criminals. You know, that's the statistics are against him. But if I say that, like, fuck them, their family is a part of a culture that runs this country economically, socially, and culturally because of where they live, what they do, where they shop, where they vacation. Um, I feel like that's honest. And if I want to use expletives when I point it out, it might not be treating people in the way that they want to be treated, but I certainly don't think that it alienates Trump voters. Mm -hmm. Like, I love using expletives in political language in my everyday language. <laughs> I mean, even in the status, like I said, faggot. Well, in, yeah. in response to an article about saying you shouldn't use expletives, oh, <laughs> you, yeah. you said, hey, I'm going to call the author of this article a faggot. Yeah. <laughs> As a faggot myself. And Mike, where do you stand on that word, faggot? Yeah, so so I, I think in the, in the broader context, notice that the conversation <laughs> is about the use of those words mm -hmm. rather than about the very legitimate <laughs> point that Ryan made right before talking about the word faggot, where he talks about how the Trump family is complicit in this whole power structure of, you know, that that's the conversation we should be having. Mm. And, and, and I think that now the debate's all about, you know, should we use the C word, the F word, the F with other F word, whatever it is, mm. like that if, if, if we took those words out, then the conversation we'd be having, we would have the substantive issues and the systems at work that, mm. that are often invisible to people they don't see. So, so I do believe in calling people out for, for what they're complicit in. I believe in doing it in a way that is, that is strategic and keeps the focus on what we want to be talking about so that the focus doesn't veer off to you know, whether we're using civil language, because that's not an important conversation. It ends up being the conversation we have. But it's funny because then we just had a little microcosmic conversation of that <laughs> in yeah. that we, we just evolved into talking about whether or not to use the word faggot. Yeah. I, th I think, though, it's interesting uh, you saying that, like, we want to make sure we're staying on track. We're staying on track. Like, we're talking about the issues. I mean, wh where I'm from, a lot of times there's people there where you don't have to do anything to provoke them. Yeah. Like, when I was campaigning for Barack Obama in Virginia, there were people who hated him just for being. Hmm. And the conversation t turned towards something else. So we don't need to give them an excuse not to talk about the issues. They're going to say he's a Muslim from Africa. Like, did we provoke that? No, we didn't. But that became news mm -hmm. regardless. So who's doing it? Us who are saying expletives and then calling people out for their behavior. Because sometimes you'll say like, oh, um, immigrants aren't criminals. And they're like, wow, that's an expletive. Mm. Like <laughs> that that's a radical statement. <laughs> and so I don't think we, it's like, we're not distracting people. I refuse that sort of argument. Yeah. When I, when I, Ryan, when I hear what you're saying, and I think it's, it's, it's all true, what I worry about is like, if, if we're gonna, if we're ever gonna emerge as a society from this political era, where it's all about, you know, this is true, no, this is true, and this is true, and this is true, and everyone has a different idea of what's true. We're, we're not gonna do it by villainizing people on, on, on both sides. We're, we're not going to be able to get out of the situation we're in. But you and said so, something so they, interesting. Yeah. Like, if we're ever going to get out of this political era where, you know, we're just fighting over truth, 
like where I'm from, truth has always sort of been relative because I grew up in like a very Confederate culture where I'm so serious. There's people who go through their everyday lives thinking that like most slaves were treated like family. I think that a lot of people are viewing this as like an era, an era we have to get through, an era we have to address, an era where truth is relative. And for me, it's like it's always been this way. And it's something that I've always had to deal yeah. with. And it's something that I've tried to escape. Like when I grew up, our attorney general said that like gay people were unnatural. And that was during like a vote on whether or not to put a gay marriage ban in the constitution of the state of Virginia. I mean, I remember my family voting on that initiative. So it, You know, for me, I think sometimes when you're in those cultures and it's so suffocating and you don't have a home to go to that's safe Mm -hmm. and you don't have a school to go to that's safe. And sometimes you just want to say, shut up, faggot. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, that's what I think people like the man who wrote the article misunderstand is like they don't understand the war. Mm. First of all, it's been going on longer than they think. And a lot of us have like tried to escape it. Mm. And it's harder now than it was, but we're also sort of more prepared for it because, like, we know that being civil isn't going to work because they're they're not going to care that you're civil. They're going to find things that you're doing that aren't civil yeah. and paint them that way and destroy you. Assume you've convinced me. Um, <laughs> yeah. What is so? Uh, no, uh, no. Assume you've convinced me, comma, comma. Yeah. Um, what is your uh, vision or hope for for what happens with this war now like does it does it just keep expanding um and destroy the society what is the playbook if, if the playbook isn't to, to to use like the the now boogie word civility mm-hmm. what is the playbook right i mean that's scary because my perfect world is not like oh trump people die and like clinton people reign <laughs> right. like that's not my world yeah like I love my family back home and and there are people back home who I still talk to and some of them did vote for Donald Trump and I don't know it's it you know like I said I don't censor myself when I go home and like some people don't talk to me because of it and some people like will push me out of their lives I guess like what I try to do to like find common ground with people back home is just tell them about what I hate about living up here Like, I agree with them on one thing. Like, there's one thing that I agree with on, like, Trump voters back home. And that's that there is an elitist, closed community in cosmopolitan areas that do not give access to people who are impoverished, whether it be white people or especially people of color. And these people are liberal and they espouse liberal values and they vote for Democrats and they live these lives that make them feel good and feel altruistic. And they go to the fundraisers and they go to the alumni reunions and they go to these things. And then I just try to say like, I hate them too. (laughs) Like, and we find common ground in that way. I guess that's my ideal world. Mm -hmm. So now I'll answer it. (laughs) My ideal world is when people who are being civil confront those Trump supporters at their, like, you know, Columbia grad school reunion. You call them out because if you went to Wharton Business School, you know, like, the Trumps went there. And they're not the only ones. So it's like, you're the ones who have access to these people. Like, when I went to the University of Virginia and I found out that I was going to school with people who were the children of the people who were, like, 
destroying the fabric of my state and denying opportunities like Medicaid expansion to people who I love who voted for that man who denied them the opportunities. It's like, where does it stop? Like, do we keep telling working class white people to stop voting for Trump or do we like attack the people that they're voting for? Mm -hmm. So like call them out. Yeah. You know, I, I, so I find myself agreeing with almost everything you're saying. Mm -hmm. Um, and the, the place where I think we part ways, and I say I think because I, I, there's a part of me that agrees with 100% of what you're saying. <laughs> the, the place where part of me disagrees or, or thinks differently is in how you confront those people. Not whether, but how. Um, and I guess the place I'm coming from is as a teacher of middle school students teaching about systems of injustice and cultures of power and, and the very things you're talking about. And where a lot of the kids in my class are white, a lot of the kids in my class are male. And in my class, I'm telling them or letting them understand for the first time that they are part of the system that oppresses people and they didn't realize it. And so then the question is, you know, how do you do that? Do you tell them all this and say, you know, how dare you? How dare your family? You know, they're probably going to not listen to anything more that you have to say. They're not going to listen to your message. They're going to, you know, hammer their stake down the ground harder. Like, this is my people. This is my family. You know, and so they're then shut off from learning. And another way of doing it is to teach them about the system itself Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and temporarily at least separate them as people from what's happening. Mm -hmm. When you call people out, you might be completely justified in doing that. It makes total sense. And I think it makes the the person calling out feel, feel good and brave and bold. But then what? You know, I, I think on one hand, every moment is an educational environment. I think we're all, especially now, we're all in, 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 tasked with being teachers of, of each other. Um, and you know, I, think, I think here in this, in this discussion, I mean, you've been a fantastic teacher. I think that, that we, one of the reasons why, why you know, I'm receptive to what you've been saying is that you're not attacking me. <laughs> mm-hmm. In the field of education, you know, it's well documented that if someone feels like they're under attack in a learning situation, that their learning is going to be cut off. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're only going to be thinking about um, that attack, what other people are thinking about them, what that, does that person have to get them? Yeah. And all the other information and all the other conversation happening is, is not going to get through. And so if we all think of ourselves as teachers, you know, vent your anger, make sure that the person you're talking to understands the intensity of, of, of how you feel and make sure it's done in a way where you're not cutting off their continued learning. Now, I, I think that, you know, a lot of what you're saying resonates so much with me that I think like, yeah, of course, like you call them out and then months, years down the road, they'll remember it mm-hmm. and, and they'll keep dwelling on it. And eventually they'll kick in. You know, that, that could happen too. Um, and I think part of the educational environment that I'm in as a teacher that's limiting is that I, I, I can't be, you know, as direct a, a calling out voice as I might want to be because I'm, I'm trying to reach a bunch of kids. Um, mm-hmm. but, but I think it's something to remember. So I think like this conversation has actually made me more ambivalent, not the right word, but more ambivalent about what I think the right answer is. Um, I'm definitely open now to Ryan's perspective about how to confront and talk to people I don't think it's the right answer, but I also don't think that the answer I started with is the right answer. I think my answer now is it depends. And that makes me more scared, actually, because um, if you don't know who your audience is, (laughs) if you don't know who your audience is, then you don't know which strategy to use. And so, yeah, maybe it is better just to whatever is on your mind, just say it. And at least it's authentic. But but I, I do worry that it coarsens 
the political conversation and social conversation even more. And the more we go down that road, the harder it is to get out of it. I was going to say to get get back, but from what Ryan said earlier in the conversation, clearly we've never been there. But I think to I think ultimately, like we need to be able to break out of the bubbles, not just to understand other people, but to be able to talk with, work with, solve problems with everyone at the level of Congress and at the level of each individual family and, and friend group. I just wanted to jump in here, and I know that there is not a way to put a nice little bow on this because this is a conversation that I hope continues, but I actually really feel that you guys are both right, and there is not a winner, there's not a loser, and what I mean by that is like, I see activism as a mosaic, and all we can each be responsible for is our mosaic tiles. And like Mike, your activism, meaning activism as a human, I'm not talking about like political sides here, but but the way you hope to advance humanity is in the classroom. So there are very specific tactics that work there. And Ryan, your form of activism, again, by activism, I mean existing and hoping that others like you can continue existing with more and more equality and comfort is comes lar- is largely informed by where you're from and how you need to get through to the people who are in your community where you're from. And so I don't think there has to be this one way where we have to speak to other people. And and sometimes as I witness this conversation, meaning not just your conversation with each other you guys, but the conversation that we see play out on social media is that it's like Sometimes I get scared, like, oh, we're distracting ourselves with each other. Yeah. We are distracting ourselves with telling each other what is the best way to feel anger when I don't actually think that one person is right. I think some people feel their anger for very justified reasons, and other people feel their anger and funnel it through um, very in, in a very justified way. And I think where the friction comes is kind of that there is so much rage that fills us, and that rage is justified, and that rage is real, Um, but then sometimes we funnel that rage to each other because we are the closest punching bags. Do you know what I mean? Like, it it is easier to yell at a Mm -hmm. fellow lefty that they're doing it wrong because they will listen rather than the people we are trying to rage at. So... I guess in a conversation that can't have a ribbon, that is my ribbon. Um, what but, a beautiful ribbon, What a beautiful Dylan. ribbon. Oh my beautiful. God, Ryan, I'm looking thank at it right you. now. <laughs> You're looking at the ribbon. Um, so with that ribbon being said, are there any final things you guys want to say to each other? Mike, I just appreciate like everything that you said. And I also, I appreciate this conversation because I think it's really helped me clarify a lot of thoughts that I had in a really good way that were kind of backed up by anger and now sort of are more clear in my mind, which is sort of like how I feel and where I stand and I think this has been so helpful. Yeah, and Ryan, I want I want to thank you for going into detail about your story. Uh, one of the things, as a as a teacher, but also as a person, <laughs> that I value a lot is 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 the idea that we learn a lot more from stories and narratives than we do from just lists of things uh, that are that are true. Um, and by by talking about your uh, background and your journey, and then how you reflect on that. Um, and and the, the very nuanced ways you reflect back on that uh, is really helps me learn, and I, I hope it helps people listening to this learn. 
Oh yeah, and I'm so lucky. Well, obviously you've heard my politics, so like you know there's lots of people who are very patient with me and went out of their way to talk to me when they absolutely didn't have yeah. to. Yeah. I feel very lucky. Yeah. And a lot of good teachers too. Yeah. A lot of good teachers who got me to this place where I'm very happy. Um, thank you guys so much for being part of this. And I guess the final thing I will say is get out and vote. <laughs> get out and vote. I mean, that's that's a very important thing. Yes, please, everyone listening, get out and vote. But um, thank you for doing this, and we'll all see each other on the internet, and maybe I'll see the two of you again. You know, intersect on my <laughs> newsfeed. Yeah, <laughs> probably will. Probably will. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye, guys. Bye. If you'd like to be a guest on this show and take your own online conversation and move it offline, please visit www.conversationswithpeoplewhohate.me.com for more information. Conversations with People Who Hate Me is a production of Night Vale Presents. Vincent Cascione is the sound engineer and mixer. Christy Gressman is the executive producer. The theme song is These Dark Times by Caged Animals. The logo was designed by Rob Wilson. And this podcast was created, produced, and hosted by me, Dylan Marin. Special thanks to Adam Cecil, Emily Moeller, and our publicist, Megan Larson. We'll be releasing episodes every other week, so I'll see you in two weeks with a brand new conversation. Until then, remember, there's a human on the other side of the screen. We're racing, racing through these dark times. It's hard to take it, but we're gonna make it through these dark times. Make it through these dark times. Make it through these dark times.